Today's Transmissions podcast is brought to you by 80stees.com. 80stees.com has an incredible selection of Transformers shirts and hoodies, including some amazing Transformers costume hoodies. Transform into Grimlock, Megatron, or even Optimus Prime with the 80stees.com costume hoodies. Yossi, are you there? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Insert random fuck. Daryl, I put your um, your question about Livio's name in the fun section. Is that, that, is that all right? What's the question? You've got a weird fucking name. Explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. You're Pretty Italian. Much. End of story. <laughs> Everything all right? <laughs> you are a little quiet, Daryl. How's that? Is that better? Yeah. Daryl, I've got some bad news, though. Uh-oh. I was able to hear mouse clicks all throughout your track. Fuck off. <laughs> Really? Is he doing that shit he did with me, though, like where he talks for a stream of, of minutes, and then when he stops, it's like he has to make up for clicks walls? <laughs> <laughs> None of us are going to be happy until you not only replace your computer system, your mouse again, and a new microphone, but you've moved into a house that's sound absorbent so that this will not be an issue. Pretty much. I- we've, uh, we've, just, we've just figured out your next eight trips to the store. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. So I was at a PAX conference one time. What was it? We went to a talk where Will Wheaton was talking, and he's telling this really dramatic story about how his dad made him play softball, and he wasn't interested. He was getting ready to swing, and he got distracted by his dad standing up in the stands, and he was just kind of like, you know, a kid, like, oh, my dad's watching me, and he gets beamed in the face with the baseball. And the entire crowd in this PAX convention just goes, aww. And as soon as they were done, I'm the asshole who stands up and goes, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> did, did he appreciate that or was he? <laughs> he, he laughed, but he kind of looks at the audience like there's a fucker out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have someone whose whole mantra is don't be a dick. <laughs> right. And I pulled a Nelson Muntz, so a fan of, of Simpsons can't, can't be mad at me. <laughs> Hello? Hey. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. How you doing? Good, good. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. yeah. You sound okay. great. You still sound okay. good. Okay, cool. Is your... I'm going to go as far as to say he sounds sexy, Charles. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> hey, Livio, so this is Charles. Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you, too. And I think you already know Yoshi. I do, yeah. What's oh, going on? shit, man. Livio and I go way back. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's We're true. Like best buds now. I know. <laughs> what, um... I need an intro. Hello, all sentient beings, and welcome to the Transmissions Podcast, where we talk about all news, toys, and comic books related to the Transformers. On this episode of Transmissions, we welcome IDW Transformers comic book artist Livio Ramondelli to talk about his work, art, comics, and cons. So pick up your polyhedral dice and let's roll for initiative. We're about to start Transmissions. Welcome to Transmissions, the podcast that believes Swoop only needs one head. I'm your host, Charles, a.k.a. Big C, and I'm joined by the excellent Transmissions team. Yusuf, better known as Yoshi. Yo! Jeremy, a.k.a. Yakko. Hello. And Daryl, the Cybertronian Beast. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Let's talk Transformers. All right, and today we have a very special guest on the show, 
In the last few years, he's become the go-to artist whenever IDW wants a particular Gotham mixed with Blade Runner atmosphere for a Transformers comic. He's the artist on the digital first comic productions of Autocracy, Monstrosity, and the recently announced third part of the trilogy, Primacy. If that's not enough, he brought the dead universe to life during the Dark Cybertron crossover event. Please welcome Mr. Livio Ramondelli. Hello, guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. Hey, welcome. Sure, thank you. I like the uh, Gotham mixed with Blade Runner, by the way. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. A, I think it's appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it. Hey, I love both those things, so yeah. <laughs> So uh, when we have artists on, we always uh, we always like to start off with the, the question, was there a certain point in your life that you can look back on and say, that was the point I chose to become an artist? Hmm. Well, I think with, you know, most probably working artists these days, they we all have similar stories, you know, where you grew up drawing all the time, you know, and you always thought like, oh, man, it'd be great if I could get to do this for an actual career. You know, I don't know if I had like a one day when I was like, oh, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. You know, I think... um. I think you have a lot of obstacles when you kind of, you know, declare I'm going to draw for a living. You know, it's, it's not the most, the most sure, surefire way to, to make a living. But, um, yeah, but I always kind of stuck with it and I've been, been very lucky with the kind of the opportunities I got and, uh, still really love doing it. You know, my, my passion's still there for it. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think I, I always hoped I would get to do that. Like I never really explored any other kind of alternatives if like, if this didn't work out. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. So how did you break into the comics industry? Yeah, it was it was very random. Like I was lucky enough to go to uh, an art school called the Academy of Art in San Francisco and I was studying concept art for video games and movies, you know, coming up with like a atmospheric style and that's why the whole like you said Blade Runner, that that whole thing comes from basically what I was learning in in school. And uh I always loved comics, so I always hoped I would get to do that. So, you know, randomly when I finished school, I was looking for jobs and Wildstorm, which is the division of DC Comics run by Jim Lee, they had a job posting just on this blog I used to check just for fun. Like just as a fan and they were like we're hiring for the dc universe online game that jim lee was the art director for and uh so i applied and i got hired through the through that which was very random i mean that was my first job like i had no experience you know i was very very lucky it was funny because it was at a comic book company but i was still technically doing concept art on this big mmo title and then transformers through idw was like another bit of like bizarre random luck where like i was at a uh, comic convention i think it was at like the long beach con or WonderCon out here in california and uh i just had a table at artist alley and i was just selling prints really just kind of fan art even though i was working at wildstorm it was you know i didn't have anything published and chris ryle who is the editor-in-chief at idw walked by and saw my work and gave me his card and then the next like week i was drawing uh best of optimus prime best of megatron covers so it was very, very random. Two very random events basically led to me working in comics. Wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. So uh, what was your first paid work that that was published? You said, that, I guess at Wildstorm, you hadn't had something published yet or what? Yeah, at Wildstorm, it was all concept art. So it was all in-house. You know, we designed, like you said, Gotham City. We were actually worked on that. And uh, okay. yeah, uh, but it was none of it was published until like they, they, later they did like an Art of DC Universe Online book that our work was in. But um, my first published comics work was actually the best of Optimus Prime, best of Megatron covers for IDW. Like that was the first two things. So uh, that was awesome because that was like the two, you know, signature characters. And they were, they basically just said, do whatever you want with them, which is like a dream, you know, is your first gig. You're like, oh, I get to draw the two biggest characters and I get to do it whatever I want. It was, it was great. So did that lead directly into, into getting to do the art on chaos? Well, it was close because technically at the time I was still at, at Wildstorm, I got kind of special permission to do those two covers. And then 
we still had a lot of work to do on the game, but Wildstorm was sort of winding down. There had kind of been the announcement that they were probably going to dissolve Wildstorm completely and move that office to Burbank. And uh, so I had talked to Andy Schmidt. He was the editor at the time who had hired me to do those covers. And I, you know, I was kind of like fishing around to see like, hypothetically, Andy, if I was free in a couple months, would there be other Transformers work? Like, I'd love to do it. And he was like, yeah, there, there would be. So it was kind of this offer in the air that I knew basically when Wildstorm ended that I would get to do uh, Transformers work. I didn't know at the time that it would be chaos. And initially it actually was another series, but I think that kind of shifted and became chaos. But, uh, but yeah, but it was pretty smooth. Like once I did those first two covers, I stayed in touch with Andy. So, yeah. So what is your current setup for uh, your art? How do you, how, you know, how do you put everything together? Uh, yeah, uh, I draw everything on paper. So just pencil on regular Bristol board. Like I still like that. Uh, I, I still think that's the most natural drawing to me, you know, and then, uh, and then I color it all in Photoshop. So I like, I like the mix of, you know, kind of shading the hand-drawn quality with the super smooth Photoshop colors, which, uh, I think it gives a nice, a nice feel to it. Sometimes I think there could be like a disconnect if it's entirely drawn in the computer, but yeah, so that's, that's pretty much every single page is basically drawn that way now. So have you have you tried out any of the more digital drawing solutions like a Wacom tablet or using like a, a Microsoft Surface or an iPad or something like that? I use uh, for coloring. I use a Cintiq. You know what that is? It's like, it's like a Wacom tablet. But you actually see the screen. You know, you're drawing on the screen. And uh, so I use that every day for the colors. And that I love that. I mean, it's really pretty natural, you know. They even have like a portable one now, which is just amazing. I want to I get one. But you can just take it out in the woods and draw digitally. It's amazing. So you've worked with uh, several different writers uh, on Transformers over the, the last couple of years. So is there a writer or a writing team that's just easier or harder to work with? Hmm. I mean, I've never, I've never worked with anyone who was like difficult or anything. Like I think, um, people are right. The writers are different, but I think like, at least at this point, like we all know each other really well that we get along, like you kind of work toward each other's strengths a bit, you know, which I think the best comics are, are that way where you're like, you know, who's drawing it before you start writing it, that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Chris, Chris Metz and Flint Dilly and I probably work the closest, you know, because we autocracy, they had had that plot really written out before I came on board, but with monstrosity and then primacy, we basically kind of wrote those together. And so that was a very natural kind of, you know, we all got to chip into ideas we wanted to see and and that felt great. And then, um, John Barber is another really good, he's a good friend of mine, I think. And we work really well. Like I really enjoy working with him. Cause I mean, you know, email wise with him as an editor, I'm dealing with him every day. And then every once in a while we do like a project where he's writing it. And, uh, and that's really fun to kind of see him put on like the writer's hat and, I think he's really, really talented and easy, easy to get along with. Yeah. And then James Roberts, like we worked together a little bit, like he co-wrote chaos and then he co-wrote dark Cybertron. And then we're, we know each other at cons and stuff. And he's great too. You know, I think, um, I think his scripts are probably the most like signature, like you always know when you're getting a James Roberts script, you know, I think like the, the descriptions he calls for and the dialogue, like he has a very signature voice, you know, and there are so, quite a few deaths. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then, uh, he loves little, of course, like if you read the comic, well, you know, I know you read the comics, but like he loves little like nods in the background and details. You know, he really cares about every line of dialogue, even like when you see like the PDFs come through and the changes he asks for every little tweak. I mean, I guess Chris Metzen and John Barber are like that too, but yeah, for sure. Like, uh, we, we get along with everyone. I don't think I've really worked on anything where I really felt like it was difficult from a artist writer standpoint, you know? So Jim Lee's not a total jerk. <laughs> no, he's great, actually. He's great. He's really cool. I, I learned a lot from him. So, yeah. So uh, why do you prefer to color your own artwork? And do you think your drawing process would change if you worked with a colorist? 
Well, at this point, like I can't even imagine handing it off to someone else to color. Like it just like so much of what I enjoy is like, again, what you said is sort of Blade Runner atmosphere to it with the lights and the shadows and like the environments. And, you know, like I can't even imagine, I mean, people do it every day. I can imagine it, but I mean, I just couldn't personally, I, I love the coloring so much, you know, in a way it's my favorite part of it that I'm sure I probably would draw differently. Like I'd probably tighten up line art a little bit if I knew it was going to someone else. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. There's even this great like story of like, I'm sure you guys have read like The Killing Joke, Brian Boland. Like, it's like a masterpiece Batman story, right? But like, there was this story that like when he got the colors back for it, that he hated it. And he went into a depression for like four days where he'd like spent two years drawing this book in black and white. And then the colors were just nothing like he wanted. And that's like a classic comic. Like everyone loves those colors. And still, you know, they did like a reprint like a year. Actually, it was when I was at Wildstorm like five years ago where he recolored the whole book. Like it bothered him 20 years later. It was just <laughs> crazy. So like I think artists in their head have an idea of like what the colors are, you know, even if they're not the colorist. And I think for me, it would be pretty hard at this point. You know, it'd be neat to see. I'd be curious about that. Yeah, but I don't think I could give it up. Well, that's cool. And uh, so, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about about the atmosphere and, you know, how your colors and shadows. Uh, that One thing that I've noticed is that it does seem more naturally suited to a digital presentation rather than a print. So, uh, you know, I think that's why you were kind of a natural choice for the, the digital first uh, miniseries. It, was that a conscious decision on your part or, or is it just kind of something that comes out of it? Yeah, I think it, it was definitely not conscious. I mean, it's like, I think just the fact that with like um, digital art, Photoshop, you know, glows, you're, you're really painting with, with light kind of, you know, so it just naturally on a computer screen, everything's backlit. So, or an, I, an iPad. So when you see it, like things really glow and, you know, it's, it is, you know, it's, it's made that way. So it does, it does look better that way. But not really. I mean, even in terms of digital comics, like I really came around on them. I used to really not like the idea of digital comics because I'm, I'm I'm a traditionalist. Like I like the book in my hand and I especially like a uh, a library of comics. Like I like seeing a shelf full of books, you know, and uh, digital comics. So I've really I've really come around on recently, though. And that's a whole other topic we can get into. But basically, like, uh, I love the convenience of them. You know, it can be three in the morning and you can buy an entire run of a comic, you know, or or if you're self-publishing, which is like, if I'm sure we all have an interest in doing that at some point, like, uh, it's easier than ever. I mean, now you just put it online and, you know, it's out there and it'll be forever green because you don't have to worry about being like the stock being kept in a store, you know. So uh, so that's a very exciting, exciting part of it. Yeah. So how do you like uh, working for IDW and how does it compare to uh, other comics publishers? I guess, what, would have you worked with anyone else other than Wildstorm in the past? I, a little bit. Re- like here and there, I've done some cover work for Dark Horse, for Dynamite, uh, just here and there, you know, some Star Wars, some Battlestar Galactica covers. I haven't had any bad experiences. Like everyone's been really friendly. Like I think um, IDW has been really terrific for me because I think one thing that I was always worried about being a freelance artist was the idea of, you know, you know what you're drawing this week, but you don't know what's happening next month, that kind of thing, you know, where uh, I was afraid there was no security as a, as a life. But IDW has been really terrific in terms of being very good to their artists where they're like, you know, they always, you know, if they like you and you make your deadlines and everything, they'll have work for you, you know, which is, is great. I mean, I definitely know guys that are in rougher situations where, you know, they do a book and then they have no idea what they're doing next, you know? So, and then everyone at IDW has been like terrific. Like John Barber is like a, a wonderful editor to work for. You know, he's just like a great, a great guy, like a creative guy. Like you feel like, you know, his sensibilities are so good and yet he's also running things. So it's really, it's been great. Yeah. I really have no complaints. 
So if you got the chance, is there a dream comic project that you'd like to work on? It does, not necessarily Transformers, but anything? I don't know. I mean, I, uh, I got to do a little bit of Star Wars for Dark Horse. Like, I would love to do some kind of gritty Star Wars story, you know, like a clone trooper, Boba Fett type story. You know, I think that'd be really fun. Batman, of course, like any everyone I'm sure wants to draw or write Batman at some point. And then like a creator own, I've been kicking around the idea for like a creator own book. I think just the idea of, you know, controlling every aspect of it and seeing it published, you know, that that's very appealing. Like I, I hope to be able to do that pretty soon. But yeah, I think those are probably the the dream projects, you know, but Transformers was a big one. I mean, that was a huge, you know, I've gotten to do a lot of things I never thought I would with, you know, these characters that I cared about. So we touched on this a little bit. Uh, so you, you talked a little bit about how you, you know, you started off preferring uh, physical comics and now, you you know, some of the conveniences has, has kind of won you over with digital. So where do you think the trends are going in the comics industry? Like, do you, can you project five or 10 years out to where you think the balance between digital and physical will be? Yeah, I don't know about an exact prediction. I mean, I think I think digital is a very good thing for the industry, though. Like, I think um, I think people kind of rightly worry that everything's going to be read on an iPad, you know, and there'll be no more comic book stores. And I really hope that does not happen. But but I also think that digital digital is a way to get comics into the hands of like a ton of new readers out there who would never venture into a comic book store, but they would pick up their iPad and go to Comixology, you know. So I think, you know, I always say like let's say you have someone who's never read comics and they watch the walking dead and they want to read that comic. If they go to a comic book store, like what are the odds? Like they'll even go to the store or find the first trade in stock. You know, it's kind of slim, but on their iPad, they can buy the entire run the minute they finish an episode. You know, it's amazing. Like it's, I really hope that that, you know, keeps going. And then I hope that kind of like, uh, you know, increases the actual hard copy sales as well. You know, that people want to own these things as, as books, you know? So I'm hoping, I mean, I think digital is definitely here to stay. Like, I don't think it's a, a trend at all. I just hope it uh, helps the print version as, as well, you know? Do you have any thoughts on the whole, uh, you know, there was a kind of a, a big dust up with Amazon buying Comixology and then immediately uh, stopping the in-app purchases on the iPads. Do you think that's that's going to be kind of a, you know, a bump in the road for, for digital comics? Or do you think that that's going to be a big issue? I don't know. I mean, I know that's, um, I know people were not happy about that. So it's, uh, I, I think they're probably ironing things out. I mean, I think the fact that Amazon bought Comixology is a good sign because if a company as big as Amazon views Comixology as that much of an asset, I think that that's a good thing, right? Like, I think Amazon has been very smart about their business, even though they're, you know, you can argue that they're crushing some smaller stores and putting hard copy stores out of business. You know, I think they have good taste in terms of what they think is is important for the future. And so if they consider comics important, even the digital versions, I think that's good for all of us, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't know in terms of uh, what's going to come down the line with that. You know, I hope they, God, I hope they like smooth out the process, you know? So what are your thoughts on, I, like, I guess we, we call this the dark side of digital. So, you know, torrents and, you know, people getting stuff basically illegally. Uh, what do you thought, what are your thoughts on, on where that's going? Or do you think, do you think, uh, you know, a legal digital will be able to, to put a stop to that or, or, you know, basically compete with that? It's tough, man. And I think it's, um, it's same thing with movies are facing, of course, where it's like, or TV shows, you know, you're ripping it off the internet for free, which, you know, hopefully people who are doing that realize, like, if you like this content, you want it con to continue that people making it need to make money off of it, you know? So, like, 
I've certainly, uh, on occasion, watched a movie or a show online for free. But then I also, if it's something I really loved, I will always go and buy like the Blu-ray, right? Like I will always make sure that I give those people money if I enjoyed the product. And like, I think with uh, with comics, that's hopefully the same thing that it's um, I, ideally it would be like a gateway drug where if they like the issue, then they'll go and, and buy one, you know, like I hope I just hope the people doing it realize like, uh, y- yeah, like you really, you know, the movie industry complains about it a lot. And I think everyone kind of turns their nose up where they're like, oh, but you guys, you have billions of dollars. What do you care if, you know, a movie gets watched here or there? But comics, it's different. You know, those those downloads really hurt, you know, like those like free samples. So, yeah, I mean, I hope. Yeah, it is. It is sort of the dark side. I mean, hopefully it's just generating good word of mouth. That would be the ideal one. You know, you use Comixology yourself. Yeah. What do you hate about it? Oh, what do I hate about it? Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, you mean the entire reading process or anything about it? Anything. Well, I think I think the one thing I don't like still is the sort of intangible, you know, like I think uh, and I heard I heard J.J. Abrams actually talking about this with with music where he was like back in the day, you know, if you went to a record store and you bought like a CD or an album, you remember going to the store, you remember buying like picking up the uh, the item, right? And giving real money. And now it's like you're you're buying for intangible things with intangible money. So for me, I think I do miss that like I remember going to a comic store and like and I still do, seeing it on the shelf, right? And you feel excited for the actual hard copy thing, you know? And I think that's sure. that's maybe the one drawback for me with with digital. Yeah, but I but I sense you have a a specific complaint. Is that <laughs> well, you know, it's a lot of a lot of the the guests we have on here just are so quick to say, you know, they they really don't care for the people that are downloading this content, and as far as they're concerned, they're thieves. And and there's you know you can you can argue that side really well all day long. The other side to it is you know the the digital offerings that that we as citizens of earth are being asked to to pay for are are drm restricted so you know i mean this is a huge thing i mean if 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 idw put their comic books up and said you know there's no drm there would be nothing keeping me in that sense of buying every issue of transformers and making a copy of it on a thumb drive and sharing it with a buddy of mine yeah at the same token, when I go down to my comic book store that doesn't exist and I buy every issue of Transformers, I can share that with my buddy just as easily. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're, you're paying just as much for a digital copy of something with not the same rights that you would have with the physical copy. I see. Okay. I think that is an issue a lot of people have and why they hire it. The, you know, the, if you want to get philosophical about it these people that are quote-unquote stealing stuff they're not physically taking anything from idw they are digitally copying those ones and zeros over they've made a copy of it so then okay you as an artist are losing money but you as an artist aren't making uh, a percentage based on every book that's sold you were contracted for x amount the book was made idw reaps any of the benefits if it goes far beyond what they were what they were expecting after paying you same with the movie industry. It's not like, uh, you know, Peter Cullen gets paid extra because Transformers 4 just will, did amazingly well, for example. Well, I think in the movie industry, they do get sometimes like the big names get a percentage of sales. If you ever correct me again, Jeremy, <laughs> no, but, but, you know, when you, when you go to make this, this, uh, you know, uh, creator own content, you're going to, you're going to benefit from everybody that, that buys from you directly. Yeah. I think uh, the educated fans among us are aware of that and are more inclined to buy creator created content. That's a good point. Yeah. 
there's a lot of things that need to be fixed here. One of them is DRM. One of them is price. And how do you do that without screwing over the brick and mortar stores? Well, I think, yeah, that's true. And I mean, definitely it is a shaky time. Like as good as digital is, you know, we, nobody wants comic book stores to go out of business. Like that would be just God awful. Right. So like, that is tricky where it's like, how do you find that, that happy middle ground? Like hopefully digital sales would cause people to go into a, like a real store. And I do think, you know, nothing beats browsing in a real store. Like when you browse online, you're always sort of having to search, right? Or something's recommended to you, but nothing beats just like wandering aisles and, you know, something might catch your eye, right? And uh, to the other point you were saying, yeah, with, um, in terms of, yeah, when torrents or, or something is, is taken or stolen, like, uh, or just copied, it doesn't take money out of the artist's pockets. Although if those sales were being counted, like if IDW is making like tons and tons more money, then they could pay their artists more money, you know, and they could do more series. Like that's the other thing is like, if IDW had all this extra disposable income, then they could give more content in general. Are you saying a book that outsells Transformers, like uh, the only one that's coming to my head, unfortunately, is My Little Pony, that the <laughs> artists on My Little Pony are getting paid more than an artist on Transformers? I believe that's the case. Yeah. Really? Yes. Okay. Well, it's like, well, I mean, it's like, it's like anything. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you look at like the top, whatever the top selling book in the industry is Batman, you know, Greg Capullo rightfully so is being paid very well for that book. You know, like the following is the creative team is definitely lauded. Right. So if something starts like anything, you know, if something becomes really popular, the people that made it will be paid more, you know? Okay. Oh, uh, to 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 just touch la- and then Charles can shut me up. But to touch last on that, you know, uh, people who go to Comicsology and this is their first experience buying comics, and they're going into a comic book store after that because they enjoyed the digital version so much. The the same argument could be made of all the people that are that are copying it off of torrents and whatnot. And even so, wouldn't wouldn't it be ludicrous if I mean, let's say there was a magical way for IDW to track all of the all of the the copying that's going on online. And let's say the number of readers is three times what is being sold. Uh-huh. You know, even if, even if the sales of a particular Transformers book dip down or, or to a point where it might not be financially, I guess it all comes down to money, but where it might not be financially feasible if that was the only thing going on. But if they've got all of these pirating fans going on down there, these are, these are people who aren't buying every issue, but they're going to come to cons. They're going to, they're going to buy that unique item that that's related to that particular book. I would I would assume based on my yeah. Own experience. Yeah, I think um I think that's the hope is that whoever is reading these things on torrents, you know, even if they're not paying for that issue, that it does it you do get paid in sort of the exposure, right? So like if right. they enjoy the comics they're reading that way, that hopefully they'll come to a show or they'll start buying the comics, you know, directly. Because I mean, it's like. You know, like we were saying before, I mean, like, hopefully everyone realizes, like, if you, if you love something, you should financially support it. You know, I try and do that with, there's podcasts I love, you know, where if they ask for donations, I'm happy to do it because, you know, I I enjoy the service that they're giving. And I understand, like, there is a business side to it, you know? So I'd like to announce transmissions is now taking donations. (laughs) (laughs) I'll kick some money your way. I'll kick some money your way. Well, well, I actually learned something today with how with how the price how uh, IDW pays people. So thank you a lot. For well, that. well, well, shouldn't well don't take it as like IDW being a different like from my understanding like that's just comics in general, right? Like I think uh, the the top selling things will pay the creators more than like mid range selling things. You know, like I think that's perfectly makes sense to me. You know, that absolutely makes sense. I just. I like, you know, it's, it's like iTunes, like, like comiXology, like, uh, Kindle books. Uh, 
nobody likes the DRM restrictions on it. Yeah. Um, you know, and anybody that's into this comic book hobby like we are, I would think would be crazy not to go get the physical book anyways, because that's actually going to increase in value, assuming it was written well and drawn well. Whereas the digital copy is not going to ever be worth more than supposedly what you paid for it. Yeah. You know, I mean, from, from, from that perspective. Yeah, that is definitely, that is another, you know, that's a difference where like, you know, if, if hard copy comics do go away, then yeah, the things you're buying don't really have value. I mean, how can you value a a download, you know? Right. So yeah, that is, that is tricky. I'll bring you a sheet of ones and zeros I printed off from the last (laughs) book and have you sign that for me. Uh, Okay. I'm happy to do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Charles, shut me up, sir. Magically, Yoshi, that's an excellent segue to the next question. <laughs> Cause, uh, I, I was going to ask, uh, what do you think about how digital distribution will affect the collectability factor of comics? So, you know, we were just talking about how, you know, in addition to reading the stories and enjoying the art and the stories, another factor of, of comics is collecting them, you know, having a collection. You mentioned, you know, staring at your shelf of all the comics you've collected. So do you think? having digital distribution will will change people's perception of of comics in general and and you know you're you're a little bit at the forefront of this since autocracy monstrosity and i'm assuming primacy are all digital first uh uh productions and those are you know that's that's a significant change well i think i think just in general with all our media we're really at a, a turning point like i heard something a couple months ago that blew my mind one of my friends was talking to someone from sony's like blu-ray department and he asked him, like, what do you think the actual the shelf life for Blu-rays is to even exist? And the guy was like, three years. In three years, he thinks Blu-rays will be completely gone and everyone will just be downloading movies, which is shocking. Because, I mean, I'm, I have a big movie collection, right? Like, I love seeing titles on a shelf. And the idea that that's going to be replaced by, you know, just downloads and maybe actually a hard copy Blu-ray is going to be a special edition thing is just crazy. It'll still be like the role that LPs play. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then like, and I think comics is, you could argue going the same route. I mean, even, even beyond comics, novels too. It's like how much with, you know, Barnes and Noble, like fighting to stay alive now, maybe these mom and pop shops might stay open. But like, I think just in general, all of our media is, we're kind of waiting to see what happens, you know? Like I hope, uh, I really hope, like I said before, comics don't go away. Like I'm looking at my, my shelf of trades now and I'm like, I'm very proud of having a collection like that, that I'm sure we all are like, you know, something we started when we were kids and you add to it, you know, I think the whole intangible download thing, there's definitely less of an attachment to it, you know? Right. That, that kind of blows my mind about the Blu-rays thing, just because of the the fact that you would buy them and have such a large collection. And as you would go through them and get bored of them or, or even video games and beat them, you could take them to like a GameStop or in Canada, we call it EB games and you could sell them off or you could take them to like a, you know, a trade-in shop and trade them in and get new games and movies and trade them in and you know that kind of stuff and they're worth money right yeah yeah Where these digital downloads like you guys were talking about are literally worth nothing <laughs> after you've bought them right yeah they're worth the content in which you've bought right and, and yeah so you'd have a section a selection of downloaded media that is literally worth zero dollars that you yeah. cannot trade to anybody, you cannot resell back to anybody, and it's just sitting there taking up download space. Yeah. 
And I think, like what I was saying to you before, where you have the memory of buying something, you know, like you look at a comic on your shelf with a certain cover and you're like, oh, you know, I remember where I got that years ago. And now with the download, you're like, well, it's just another, like I have a big iTunes library, like I'm sure you guys do. And it's like, there's songs in there I love, but I don't remember the day I bought them. You know, they just, they're in there, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a new time, I guess, a new age. Digital sucks, everybody. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let, let's move into some, uh, you know, lighter, more fun topics. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, so how did you first get into Transformers? Uh, I'm definitely a, uh, a G1 kid. You know, the cartoon was the, uh, the introduction for me and then the initial toy line, you know. So I think uh, to me, that's still the ideal. I shouldn't say ideal, but that's the most, you know, classic version of it to me, you know, uh, the most iconic version, I guess. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I just, you know, the, the cartoon I was obsessed with, especially the first, you know, two or three seasons before the or two seasons, then the movie you know, lost track of it for a couple of years. Cause I mean, it kind of went away. A lot of the British fans got, I feel like Transformers has gone on a lot longer in a in a sense in, in England than it had here. Right. Like when you talk to the fans over there, like IDW has a lot of readers in England and, uh, I go to a, do a show there. I'm going again later this year. And for them, I think because one of the series, the comic series continued over there in a way that we didn't get it over here. And so, uh, you know, they have an affection for later characters like Hot Rod and Ultra Magnus that like, like, I, I don't have that because for me, they were kind of the new characters and then they went away, right? Like there just wasn't content with them. So, uh, so yeah, my earliest memories are the G1 cartoon and the movie, which I still think is amazing. And, uh, yeah, just the toys. So yeah, definitely a G1 guy. Are you guys, are you guys G1ers or what are you? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I, <laughs> I think we all are, aren't we? Yeah. 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 Some so. more than others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys get into Beast Wars? I never really got into that. I was a little I too. Did. Yeah. I got into it late, but um, I enjoyed it. And especially the the later seasons, the writing really picked up. Yeah. Yeah. For uh, for me, I was, uh, you know, I, I was a little bit skeptical at first, but I, you know, after I started watching the show, I did enjoy it. So, and, and later on, they started adding in a lot of G1 references too. So that yeah, was. Yeah. It didn't start off like having anything to do with G1 at all. And then they kind of retroactively linked it. I have seen that episode where they go into like the arc and you see right. Optimus Prime. Like that was, that was pretty cool. I love that, yeah. that idea of tying it in. So uh, after uh, you finished up uh, chaos, how did you come to be involved with the autocracy project? It was, it was right, right after. I mean, it was, um I think it was, on like the third issue of chaos when um I went into the IDW offices just to talk to Andy Schmidt and I, you know, I still had a full issue left. And then he was like, I think I, ha-, he's like, I have an idea for something else that I think you should do next. And he pitched autocracy to me and he was like, Oh, it's written by Flint Dilly and Chris Metz. And I was like, of course I'll draw that. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's like a, and he's like, it's like basically Optimus Prime's origin. So I was like, of course, like that's like a dream gig, you know, like, a like I was excited to, to draw chaos. Like that was my first published, you know, story, but, you know, I would say on that one, I was like, not just the artist, like to say in a negative way, but just, you know, it, it was written and then I drew it basically, you know, like I was very excited and very happy to get that chance. But I felt like with autocracy, that was like a dream story to be a part of, you know, like I think uh, getting to work with Flint and Chris, like I really enjoyed that. Like that was just been a, a total highlight of my career. And, uh, and I really believed in the story that they wanted to tell. It came from a lot of heart, you know, with them, you know, like I was a, uh, I was kind of like the young punk on that project. And so I was, <laughs> I didn't want to like let these guys down, you know, they're, they're obviously very experienced guys. And, uh, 
and I was like intimidated because like, I knew Flint from just like the behind the scenes DVD interviews of like the G1 series. And, you know, I'd seen him talk, but I was nervous about working with him. And he was like, he could not have been nicer. Like same with Chris, like these guys have no, like no ego. They're just like the, the best collaborators. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I jumped on that immediately and that was, that still remains like one of the highlights of my, uh, my career. So how much uh, back and forth do you have with writers when drawing a comic? So you mentioned in Chaos, you kind of just, you know, you were given the script and you and you just drew it. But did you did you get more collaboration with the Autocracy and I think later Monstrosity and now Totally, Privacy? totally. Yeah. And I think also on, I think with your first comic, like with Chaos, like I didn't even know where the, the line was. So I just kind of assumed like when I got a script, I'm like, okay, you draw exactly what they say, right? Like that's your job. Like. And I remember I had a couple questions that I would email, you know, James Roberts or Mike Costa, and they were very nice to kind of like write back. And, you know, if I had a question about like a certain shot or something and uh, yeah, but it was very much pretty much like just functioning as the artist on that one. But with and especially later, like Monstrosity and the Robots in Disguise issues I've done with John. Yeah, I feel like a real collaborator in terms of the story. Like they really let me chip in ideas. I mean, like especially Monstrosity and Primacy, there's like whole chunks of things in there and like lines of dialogue I got to write that was like really, really fun, you know, like it and it, it makes you put in better work too, you know, where you feel like if you're if your voice is being heard and like these guys want you to tell the best story you can, you really you want to put in that extra effort, you know? So uh so there's a lot of collaboration, like a lot of um emails back and forth like especially with uh flint and chris when we were doing a series we uh we'll go out to eat together at dinner and just kick around ideas and they're both like so creative guys like they're like the ideas that they'll throw out you know there's ideas we had for monstrosity and stuff that we just didn't have space to use but they're really cool ideas that you're like man these guys have like these gems and they're just they're just tossing them away because they have better ideas but it's just it's other ideas that if you saw someone you'd be like god i would kill to have that idea you know so <laughs> so yeah there's a lot of collaboration though cool so are, i guess you guys are all local if you can go out to dinner or regular yeah. regularly yeah flint and chris and i are all in uh southern california it's like near la okay. and then uh and then idw is in san diego so i go down i have a lot of friends in san diego in general so i go down every couple months and uh i'll visit idw and uh i talk to john in email a lot too because even you know when, when i'm doing monstrosity or primacy john is still the editor on those books so you know and he chimes in with story ideas too and so we're always emailing back and forth so do you prefer the short eight to 10 page format or do you, or, you know, do you f prefer the, you know, the whole 22 page format and how do you think that affects the storytelling? It, it depends. There's definitely pros and cons. Like I think one thing I love about the eight page uh, format, like especially for autocracy is that I felt like it gave those issues a real momentum that I think, uh, cause your, your screen time is so precious that it really, there's not a lot of filler, right? I think one thing we loved hearing was that people felt like those were pretty substantial reads, even though they were eight pages, you know, people felt like they got a story out of every issue. And I think I'm sure we've all definitely read 22 page comics where they're kind of like being written for the trade paperback where you're like, okay, the first three issues are really just setting up something. And then, you know, you're waiting forever for things to kind of kick in. And with uh, the eight page format, you don't have that space. So you really have to kind of get to the story, you know? I think the downside is, you know, you don't really have the chance to show some huge spectacle shots like uh, double page spreads and stuff because that's a giant chunk of your eight pages. So, um, so yeah, it's definitely pros and cons. I mean, I love 22 pages as well. Like I love, you know, that can feel like, of course, a very substantial read too. And I think every, every issue of like Robots in Disguise I've drawn with John, it felt like has had, has been a story, you know, has been like a, a good read. I didn't feel like it was filler. Do you have a favorite Transformers character to draw? Uh, it's probably, probably Optimus Prime, but then, um, 
my next like three favorites are all villains. It's like Shockwave, Soundwave, um, Megatron, like uh, Devastator, Triptychon. Those are my <laughs> big my big favorites. But uh, Optimus Prime and Soundwave are probably my two favorite characters uh, in general and to draw. Okay. So was it kind of a thrill to kind of reinvent Soundwave's origin uh, in Robots in Disguise? Oh, yeah. Like that. I love that. I mean, because, you know, Optimus Prime has had origins sort of presented before, but Soundwave really hasn't. You know, as far as I'm aware of, like, I couldn't think of anything where we'd seen that. And so as a fan of that character, I always wanted to know, like, you know, how did he meet the tapes and what exactly is like the relationship there? I've always wondered that, you know, because even in the old G1 cartoon, there's these like these paternal moments, right? Where you're like, do they, they really care about each other? Like, who are these guys? And, uh, and I think John wrote, wrote like a really great story. Like I thought, you know, the idea of him being sort of this like, you know, vagrant robot that comes across these like animal friends. I thought that really kind of, it gave him a lot of character, you know, like I love, that was really fun. And that was those flashbacks in RID 21 and 22 were very cool to draw. I had, had a lot of fun there. So how much time does it take you to finish a comic? And do you think with doing both art and colors that that might, uh, you know, take a little bit more time? It it does, but it also there's also ways where it's quicker in the sense that if you, you know, the line art can be looser if you know you're coloring it, right? So if you know the type of lighting you're having in a scene and a lot of it's going to be shattered or whatever, you can, you know, just fade things to black and you know in the coloring that you'll handle it that way, you know. So I think um I usually average for one of these eight page chapters, for example, it takes about two weeks. I like to do one week for the line art and then the next week for colors. Like I like to, uh, I like to alternate. Like I like to do all the line art first and then move into like the coloring side. Okay. We talked a little bit about how, you know, your style and, and I mentioned, you know, at least to me, it kind of looks like a blend of Gotham and Blade Runner. And it seems like now IDW has kind of earmarked this style for, uh, their, you know, a particular atmosphere in, in Transformers comics. And, you know, with, with the uh, autocracy monstrosity and primacy, uh, trilogy, you're, you're doing like the past. It's always the past. And with, with RID, you also did the past. Uh, so, you know, is, is there, a, is there an influence for this particular style? Uh, you know, and, and is there a reason why IDW has put, has put it, uh, you know, in this particular, you know, in this particular, uh, uh, you know, time frame, and also like the dead universe, that's a particular, that was, they earmarked that for your particular style. Yeah, I think, um, I think it just kind of evolved naturally. Like there was never this game plan that, okay, you're going to drive, you're going to handle the flashback stories. You know, it was never, never that. I think it just evolved, but I think it evolved really naturally. Like I'm happy to do that. Like I thought that was a really smart on John's part for RID 21 and 22 to be drawn that way, where Andrew did the modern scenes and I did the flashbacks. Cause I felt like if you're going to have two artists on one book like that, I, I thought that was a really cool way to do it because it's like, you can totally separate the time periods because our styles are different. And it also, it feels like it ties autocracy monstrosity into what's going on in the mainstream, right? If it looks like things you've seen in those stories, like I think everyone loves when the continuity feels like it's coming together a little bit, you know? So uh, hopefully we'll get to do more of that. Like I had a blast and I'm, and I love the pre-war stuff, honestly, like for me, you know, being a G1 fan, like Optimus Prime, Megatron, Soundwave, like those are the characters that I really care about. Like that's the stuff I want to draw. Like I love More Than Meets the Eye, for example, but like, like that's not a book I would put myself on necessarily. You know, I think like that team is so perfect for it, right? Like I think, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really happy where I'm at, you know? And I think, and like Andrew's doing a great job in RID. Like I, I love being able to tell these, these sort of pre-war stories, you know, and being able to like, carve out some chunks of what happened to these guys in their in their backgrounds 
And uh, I guess uh, going back, uh, I guess a couple of years now, you also did those uh, those one issue, you know, those one shot Optimus Prime issues of R.I.D. where he was chasing after Bludgeon. That, that one particular issue that stands out for me is uh, is issue number ten of Robots in Disguise. Which oh was yeah, the, the crazy of, one. Yeah, yeah, the, <laughs> the backwards and forwards time travel one. So, oh yeah, was was that difficult to to keep that all straight, or you know, how did how did uh, John Barber uh, pitch that to you? That was – yeah, you asked about <laughs> difficult writers. That was the hardest thing I've ever had to draw was that issue just because it was like – I'm not very good with math in general. And when you got the script for that issue, it was so hard to like – well, first of all, I'll tell you the full story. Like originally we did Robots in Sky 6 and John said, oh, well, you know, 10 is going to be similar to 6. It's going to follow that story. And then I remember like it was going to be a very straightforward story. And then – I remember getting a really cryptic email from him one night and it's like, Hey, do you feel like doing something really crazy with me on issue 10? And that's all it said. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I trust you, but you know, what? <laughs> <Just> <laughs> blindly agreeing to something. And I remember he sent me that script and it like, I couldn't even understand how he wrote it without like drawing it ahead of time because it was like page two panel two is uh, opposite of page 22 panel one, like all this stuff where I just like, that's the only time I've ever had to actually take, layouts to idw and show john in person just to make sure i was doing it correctly like i was in san diego for the weekend and i'm like let me just come by and make sure that this is like <laughs> looking like what you have in mind and it, it's crazy i mean it's still it was a lot of fun to do you know it was um you know it was definitely outside of a normal comic for sure you know so yeah it was it was fun yeah so with your upcoming project uh so i mean last year we had uh, monstrosity which definitely at least to me felt like it, it was the middle the middle act you know the empire strikes back yeah. arc for especially for optimus prime since you know he's at the end of monstrosity he's pretty much at a low point yeah so is there anything you can tell us about primacy and and you know where it's gonna go yeah well first it's cool i think this is the first podcast I, I've, ta- I've talked on about it like we've been working on it for a long time but it's been really under wraps so oh, okay. it's cool to finally be able to share details about it but yeah we knew even when we made monstrosity we knew that we would be doing a third one so that's why monstrosity definitely ends on a cliffhanger right you know right, it's, yeah. prime is out of commission and megatron does something to Trypticon and all this stuff and you know of course, all that stuff gets followed up on. I will say um, Primacy is like a true war story in the sense that we felt like with Autocracy and Monstrosity, you had all these other elements. You know, you had the Senate, you had Zeta Prime, you had Scorponok, these other things sort of getting in the way. And now in Primacy, you really have like an Optimus Prime versus Megatron war story. And I think uh, we're getting to do some really large scale action in it, like some of the biggest stuff I think we've ever done. And uh, and the fun, too, is is when it's hitting We've been kind of lucky because we sort of had this on Autocracy. When Autocracy was printed, in the ongoing books, both Optimus Prime and Megatron were not present. And, you know, if you wanted to read about them, you had to basically read Autocracy. And likewise, now with Primacy, what's going on in the ongoings, of course, is, you know, Megatron is an Autobot, you know, and, you know, he's trying to like sort of reform his ways. And that really ties in to primacy in the sense of that you can see the contrast of like how far these guys have come. Like you're going to get to see a story of just how bad Megatron was at one point, you know? And I think it's, it's, it's really cool to have these different stories out at the same time. It gives some good variety in like reading too. Oh, you know, what would be really cool is if I'm, I'm, I'm going to put on my writer's hat, which I have not, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> But uh, that one moment in, um, I can't remember, it, I think it was uh, More Than Meets the Eye 28, 
uh, might have, I don't even know which book it was, but Ratchet was putting Megatron back together and he asked Ratchet what point it was that he thought that they had almost, you know, successfully conquered Cybertron. Remember that, Charles? Charles yeah, remembers that was everything. A, <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, Dark Cybertron Chapter 10. when uh, Oh, was, and, okay. And it was uh, Samanzi was uh, the, the battle. Right. That he said he had, after Samanzi, he thought he had conquered Cybertron and, and Bumblebee countered back with, you know, that was when the Cybertronian race was cut in half and it was a massacre. So, yeah. So, and, and I think that uh, should Darryl, be the battle. You guys should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and Daryl, you're, you're not alone. I think a lot of people, I've seen a couple of people online comment, like, are they going to do Samanzi, uh, in primacy? Oh, but, well, uh, there you go. I can't. I can't say. I can't. Oh, say. <laughs> but here's the thing. What I will are we say, doing here? I know. Well, people. <laughs> the one thing I think, like James, is so good at world building. Right? He'll throw out these little like titles of battles and things, and then like people ask us, like, "Oh, are you going to cover that?" And it's like, well, part of us feels like you know, if it's James threw it out, it really is James' story to tell. You know, you know, it's it's one of those things. Like if he if he has an idea for something in the past, like he should really be the guy that gets to tell it. But I don't know. I mean, Chris and Flynn, of course, they have their own stuff they want to tell too, you know. So it's this it's this fine line of balancing different different writers' ideas, you know. Yeah, because I noticed that in in Autocracy, uh, Chris and Flint followed up on uh, James Roberts' idea that you know that Prime had been rebuilt with a kind of a space in his chest for the Matrix, a Matrix shaped hole in his chest. Yeah, yeah. And they and they kind of followed that up and ran with that. So yeah, I, I guess maybe this is this is more on John, John Barber's plate that he has to keep everybody together and and coordinate between the different stories. Yeah, and I mean some things. Some things really get strengthened too by later stories. Like there's that thing in um when Autocracy was released, that was before we had Shockwave's origin, right? So there's that chapter, I think it's chapter seven in Autocracy where Optimus Prime is being repaired by Shockwave. And Optimus Prime says to him, I never thought I'd thank a Decepticon for saving my life. At the time, you just read that as, you know, that's a pretty good common line. But now with his Shockwave's origin, that's a real biting thing for him to say to Shockwave. You know, like they, they have some history. So it's great when that stuff gets, you know, reinforced by what comes later, you know? Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, switching gears a little bit away from uh, from IDW, uh, what do you think of the live action uh, Transformers movies? I mean, I think there's, I think visually, there's some amazing stuff. You know, I think... um. In particular, still the first one for me, I think I probably like the best just because I think the transformations in that movie just are amazing. Like, I think they're really like still like jaw dropping, you know, um, and they, they've been really good for the brand itself. Like, I think, you know, they, they've really sort of raised awareness for Transformers and, you know, to his credit, Michael Bay really has been, he's been good for the franchise in that sense. You know, he's really put a spotlight on, on the characters and kept them relevant. And I love, you know, we live in an age where Peter Collin is voicing like a live action Optimus Prime. It's amazing, you know? So, um, so yeah, I mean, I like him for that. I mean, there's, of course, there's things I would change here and there, you know? But I mean, I think, I think also it's like, I had a different perspective on them before I started working in comics too, because I feel like when you start creating stuff and, and being published, like, I don't, I don't know if you guys have like published stuff or, or done independent work or whatever, but, um, my, my perception changed a little bit where I kind of realized like there are things I would do differently, but it really is Michael Bay's story that he's telling, you know, like, I think, uh, he's the author of those movies, you know? And I think, um, yeah, I mean, he's doing it the way that he wants to do it. Like, I think the same way people beat up on George Lucas sometimes, I feel like he's really telling what he wants to tell. And, you know, more power to him, I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, just to to take the focus back to you a little bit. So, I mean, you're 
you're uh i'm guessing you're italian from your last name i am yeah okay so uh yeah it's 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 a bit of a mouthful so have you have you heard any really kind of funny mispronunciations of your name um not nothing too crazy like um my my name is like it's pronounced Livio, but some of my best friends say Livio. Like that's just something I like live with my entire life. So because uh, okay. because <laughs> it looks on paper, it looks like Livio, right? So um that's like that's like the most common one. I've I've never really had even my last name for like as long as it is Ramondelli. Like people can sound it out. I feel pretty well. Okay. The biggest thing I get is that everyone thinks I will speak Italian when they meet me. They think I'm like you know <laughs> English is like a second language, and that's not like I can't even speak Italian even with this name. So, <laughs> so that's like the big that's the big misconception. But yeah, yeah, you have to say Italian American. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, how did you like uh, Emerald City Comic Con? And have you have you gone to that show before? I did. This was my third year there and uh, I loved it. I, it's one of my favorite shows of the whole year, you know? Like I think uh it's it's like really it's like all the best aspects of like San Diego Comic-Con where it's like really cool fans, like lots of stuff to do, but it's also not crazy. You know, you can actually get a hotel room, you can move around the city, you know? I really love it. It's definitely a show I look forward to out of the year and I'll definitely be back next year. Cool. And maybe Yoshi'll be there to see you again. <laughs> I know that was great. That was a highlight for me. One thing uh that was your highlight, dude. <laughs> we have to talk. <laughs> well, it was all the gifts. <laughs> oh. Well, you you busted your ass for me and you drew uh four pictures for me, which I haven't given to the rest of the guys yet because I'm still waiting for some of the stuff I bought to get shipped up here. But uh, uh, I know that if they would have them or if they even knew what they were, they'd be thanking you profusely. And I want to thank you profusely because I just I love how they turned out. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thank you. And I hope you guys like them. This is the first oh. first we're hearing about it. So thank yeah. you. Oh, nice. oh, OK. Bit of a surprise. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you, have, you have presents coming then. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Yoshi and Livio. Yeah. <laughs> sure. He did all the work. I just brought him some salmon. <laughs> And a, and a deck of trading cards of a famous Alaskan villain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best part is that Sarah Palin's in that deck. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, recently you, you took a trip to Japan with Andrew Griffith. We did. We just got back about uh, maybe two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. So so how did that come together? And what was, what was the, uh, the, the convention you went to there? It was called um, Transform Market. It was a one-day event or Transform Market. It was a one day event in Tokyo and basically we had, uh, we do all these, you know, we travel around all these shows. Like both Andrew and I have done Auto Assembly, which is the England, uh, uh, British Transformers convention. And, uh, you know, we, we've always just wanted to visit Japan in general, you know, and we were thinking like there must be a Transformers event over there. Like there has to be something. So luckily we had two friends who were locals that like lived there and they really were able to help us with like language barriers because the websites are in Japanese and, you know, we'd send a couple of emails and nothing that we couldn't get through. You know, the language is totally different. Yeah. So we coordinated it and it, and it worked out amazingly well. And it was, we had an amazing time. I mean, not only is Tokyo just like a, an amazing, like futuristic sci-fi city. Like it is, it is Blade Runner, right? <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> the, the fans were just like completely warm and friendly, like in a way I really wasn't expecting. Like, uh, they also gave a lot of like really great gifts and stuff. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, we had an amazing time. Like we, they, they all read IDW and they read it in English. It was crazy. Like we, we had no idea if the work was actually getting printed over there, you know? Okay. Yeah, we, we had an amazing time. Like we really, the fans could not have been nicer. And to see that IDW stuff is really popular over there, I think is, is great for all of us, you know? So it, it bodes well for the future. 
So they get printed copies there in addition to digital, or do they get digital too? Or they had, I believe they they definitely get digital. We went to a comic book store that had IDW stuff there, and it was printed in English. A lot of them read in English. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it was it was that was insane to see. And we did a store signing there as well. Yeah, it just could not have been nicer. Just the people were just amazing. It would it would be awesome if they get those toys with the comic packets, and Daryl still can't and can't. <laughs> <laughs> Is it is it true that the uh, that the Japanese uh, audience for Transformers is more of a of a youth audience? Um, it's it's I don't know exactly. It uh, we sort of had a variety come up to us, but but I will say a lot of females. You know, like I think surprisingly so. Like even in America, I think you're. It's a little surprising to see just the sheer number of it. You know, so uh, yeah. I mean, it was it was great. Like uh, really happy to see. I don't know about the age. You know. We saw, like I said, we saw same within the United States. There's there's just different ages that come up to you. It's hard to see a consensus, you know. Mm-hmm. But it'd be interesting to see, yeah, what is like the median age of readership, you know? I guess that's one of the things about Transformers, though. It, it reinvents itself every few years, so hopefully there's always you know new people getting into it. Yeah, and I mean, and that's another thing, like kind of going back to live action movies. You know, I love that there's all these different versions of these characters out there. Where you know, depending on your tastes, there's sort of a version for you. Where you know, you if you if you like Spider Man or whatever, there's not just the one thing that you can get a variety. So whatever your personal Optimus Prime is, you know, there'll be a version of him out there. And I think that's really that's good for these kind of like iconic characters. Like you know, there should be a young version of Batman and an old version of Batman, so that you know, as you age, you don't like leave the character behind. You know, right. I just see you and Griffith walking around Japan with your iPods listening to Mr. Roboto by Styx the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have the, we, we did go to something there called the Robot Restaurant. I don't know if you guys have heard about this thing. No. There's a, uh, there's an Anthony Bourdain Parts Unknown episode on Netflix where he goes to this thing and I just want to recommend it to everyone. It was absolutely insane. It was this like dinner drinking show where you see just an, insane spectacle in Tokyo. It's like, it's robots and everything that you would hope it would be. It's just really crazy. Were you there when he, um, I think he posted on Twitter about going to the ocean and looking for Godzilla and being disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. We flew in together. Yeah. So we were there the whole time together, but yeah, (laughs) yeah. Not as many monsters as we thought destroying the city. We thought that that would be, (laughs) although we did see the life-size Gundam statue. Have you guys seen that thing online? Yeah. Oh, that's wow. pretty that's pretty cool to see. I mean, when you go up to it and you know, the scale of it, like the feet have the little valves and warning signs. It makes you really appreciate like if Transformers were real, you know, the the scale is just crazy. Awesome. So, uh continuing uh, with the convention theme, do you have plans to attend the Transformers themed conventions this year? I guess there's BotCon coming up soon and then TFCon Toronto and then Auto Assembly and then TFCon Chicago. Yeah, I think I'm doing all of those except not uh, TFCon Toronto this year, just because I'm doing another Toronto show later. I'm just kind of trying to space things out. But I'm definitely doing uh, BotCon, Auto Assembly, and yeah, TFCon Chicago. Oh, man. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Daryl. Next, next year. Next year. All right. <laughs> well, I'll see you at BotCon because I, oh, I cool. just did my registration. So Nice, nice. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. I think I'm going to try to make Chicago, but it's up in the air. I have to make it past the wife first. Ah. <laughs> so do you have a, like a, a favorite story about something that happened in the convention? You know, something really interesting or funny? I don't know about anything too, too insane, you know, like, uh, everyone for the most part is like really nice. Like I've never had any kind of really insane. I mean, occasionally you meet the people that are like a little like socially awkward, you know, but, uh, 
but no, I mean, I, I don't know if there's anything that really stands out. Like, uh, the first time I ever met Chris Messon and Flint Dilley is kind of funny just because I had never even talked to them in email. And, uh, we got announced as being working, as working on autocracy together. And I literally met them on a panel like 10 seconds before we started talking about the series. So that was really funny to like shake their hands, get to know them. And then we immediately start talking about this thing we we're going to work on together. And I had never met them before. So, uh, <laughs> that was, that was really funny. Andrew Griffith and I actually had a funny, the first time that we ever met each other was, um, I think it was like San Diego Comic Con two years ago. We were all waiting to uh like go into this panel to talk IDW and like this the panel before it was clearing out and Andrew was just kind of like loitering around outside and I knew I recognized him and I walked up to him. I'm like, Oh man, here I'll take you inside, I'll show you where to go. So we walk in and he thought I was just like worked for the con. Like he didn't recognize me. So it was really funny. Like I like sat down with him next to him on the panel and he thought it was just, like someone guy just working the show, sitting next to him. So uh yeah, that was pretty funny. But yeah, nothing too nothing too crazy. I'm sorry I don't have more more drama for you. Oh no, that's but. that those are perfectly uh interesting <laughs> Stories. Yeah, you said that the Japanese people at that convention gave you interesting gifts. Or is there anything particular that stands out? Oh yeah, I'm glad you asked me. Yeah, some guy gave me two. I think Andrew got one too. Two like hand sculpted Transformers mugs with like the Autobot Decepticon logos put on them, and they have sort of like metal piping for the handles. Like they look insane. They're they're really cool. Wow. And then we got a bunch of a ton of candy, like really different. Stuff I still don't know what it is. We got a bunch of uh, really nice like like notes from the readers, and a lot of them gave their own work for us to look at, like their own portfolio. And their stuff was just beautiful work. Like they should be hired immediately, you know. Like uh, yeah, and some of them seem young too. Like asking about age, like some of these like young readers, they were just amazing artists that you know really hope that they get published. Like I really hope that happens for them. I think. Uh, I think over there, there's more of a shyness about promoting your artwork, you know, and we tried to encourage them to be like, you know, you guys are really talented, like you really could be working right now, you know, and I and I hope they do. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, I think that the mugs were just really cool, you know, and we got some like scarves, like it looked like hand sewn scarves, just really, really cool stuff. Nice. Nice. So outside of Transformers, is there, is there any other uh, comic title that you would love to work on in general? I just kind of want to broaden my portfolio, you know, like I have a bunch of um just images I've done of like Apocalypse or Magneto from X-Men. Like I'd love to just do more covers for different books, you know, just to kind of expand out. I mean, I, I'm a huge RoboCop fan. Like I, I like I would love to be able to do like a RoboCop story. Yeah. Just, like I said before, Star Wars, Batman, like there's there's a whole variety. I think for the most part, my mind's sort of been on doing a creator own thing next, just because I feel like it's something I could do really soon, you know, just to kind of see what what happens with it. So I've definitely been thinking about doing like a sci-fi story like that. Do you collect any of the toys? I do. I collect, um, I definitely collect a lot of hot toys. You know, that company that does like all the comic book stuff. And, uh, I just got the ED209 from hot toys today, actually, which is like a awesome looking toy. Like it's, it's really cool. And I collect, um, I collect the masterpiece transformers. I love those, you know, you're, you're in the I don't, big I don't, stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a horrible, actually, it's, it's god awful. Like, I always joke about having like disposable nerd income and like how it's a Pandora's box, right? Cause once you start getting a taste for <laughs> the expensive nerdy stuff, you, you can't stop. It's an addiction. That's right. Like, well, you I, can't uh, just have one. You gotta have one of, to go with that one. And then he's gotta have a friend. And, oh, of, yeah. of course. I, I actually, I got into this recently, which this is a, this is a dark, a dark alley to go down, but, uh, custom made things basically to have someone make you something custom. I got a, uh, I'd always wanted a, 
battle damaged enterprise that like lights up with battle damage and glows. And I had a guy custom make it for me and I just got it like a month ago and I like, I love it, but it was, it's really expensive and it's a, it's a dark path to go down. (laughs) So (laughs) not, not popular with a girlfriend, I should say. So (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Do you collect any of the third party transformer toys? I have bought some, like I bought a, I bought the Quintesson that someone put out a couple years ago and, uh, yeah, uh, it really just whatever catches my eye, you know, um, even the masterpiece ones, I don't buy every single one. I buy the ones that I really, I really like, like I bought the sound wave, which I love. I think it's a really, really cool toy. And I'm annoyed now because there's like the sound blaster with the rat bat. I want that rat bat, but I don't have to rebuy. <laughs> we're, we're all so, annoyed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I see third party stuff at Bacon or whatever and, uh, and a custom transformers too. Like that's something I, I'm sure I'll do that at some point. Like pay someone to do like a battle damage Optimus Prime. And yeah, it's just a, it's a dark, dark path. <laughs> so <laughs> you'd think with your, you, with your, your talent, you'd be able to, you know, do it, you know, fairly decently yourself. I thought about it, but I, it's just one of these where like I know there's people that could do it better. And, uh, so it's it laziness. would be fun. Yeah. I think it's laziness. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, yeah, that's cool. Sure we're all pretty lazy. so uh earlier i asked what your favorite transformers characters to draw were are those also your favorite uh transformers characters in general i think they are yeah like i don't think uh there's not really separation for me like especially with like um prime and Soundwave, like the characters that really meant a lot to me growing up like it it feels like an honor to get to draw them so it's like uh yeah they're, they're just my favorite across the board okay so if you could combine Transformers with any other property in a crossover, uh, what would it be and where, where would you like the story to go? Hmm. That's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I think crossovers are tricky because like so much of them have their own like logic with the universes, you know, that I think it's like if you bring in X-Men versus Transformers or whatever, it's something it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, I know there's a lot of like in the history of the, you know, it's, it's kind of like if like, I love the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, but if like you bring dark side into it, it's like, well, that kind of defeats, you know, the, the reality of that world a little bit. Um, I don't know. That's, it's tricky. Like I remember as a kid, I, I love that issue of the original Marvel run where Spider-Man showed up and, you know, he was wearing like the Venom costume. And so like the, the young, the young reader in me was like, oh my God, like Venom has met Megatron. I love that idea. But, uh, <laughs> but now I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to think about it. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's all the questions we have for you uh, for the regular interview. And, and now we're going to go on to the rapid fire questions. Okay. So uh, these are the, you know, quick little, we just want to get kind of a quick little taste of your personality. So they're you okay. know, just either or yes or no questions. Okay. All right. So Autobot or Decepticon? Oh, man. I know it's supposed to be yes or no. It's basically like Optimus Prime is my favorite. And then after that, it's all Decepticons. <laughs> so it's sort of both on that one. All right. Okay. And you already said who, who your favorite is. Okay. Uh, so which of the live action Transformers movies? One, two, or three? I think it's still one for me. Okay. Megan Fox or Rosie Huntington Wheatley? Megan Fox. Uh, more than meets the eye or robots in disguise? Oh, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I cannot possibly answer that. <laughs> that seems to be a pretty common answer. Yeah. <laughs> the IDW folks always have trouble with that one. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I honestly love them both. I really, I love them both. I know it's a boring, boring answer, but. <laughs> well, so do we. So oh, good. <laughs> you're, you're in good company. <laughs> Third party toys. Yes or no. 
Uh, yeah, I like him. I like him. I understand the, you know, the legal ramifications, but I, I, I think some of the stuff coming out of them is really cool. Uh, cats or dogs? Uh, I have a cat named Magneto, so I'm going to go cats. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thanks. Coffee or tea? Uh, man, neither. I'll do uh Jack Daniels. Oh, wow. All right. Okay. <laughs> nice. Thanks. The best part of waking up. <laughs> You staying drunk in your cup. <laughs> Chicken or steak? Oh, steak. A Pepsi or Coke or Jack Daniels? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Jack Daniels and Coke, although Coke in the morning. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Burger King or McDonald's? Uh, McDonald's. History or science? History. Xbox or PlayStation? Xbox. Call of Duty or Battlefield? Hmm. Uh, I'd go Call of Duty. Okay. Yeah. Although it's tough for me. I'm way more of a, there's a Star Wars game called Battlefront. I don't know if you guys remember that series. Yeah. I would answer Battlefront. That's my kind of war game. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, PC or Mac? Oh, shit. I, I, I use both. Um, I don't know, man. It's, I, I know every artist uses a Mac, so it's, I'm, I'm torn. I'll go both on that. Just like Autobot Decepticon. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> iPhone or Android? Uh, Android. Marvel or DC? Marvel. And who's your favorite Marvel character? Uh, probably Spider-Man, you know? But um, but I love Venom, Magneto, Apocalypse. Cool. But, yeah, Spider-Man's number one. Uh, Stallone or Schwarzenegger? Schwarzenegger, but I do respect Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> Scarlett Johansson or Angelina Jolie? Scarlett Johansson. Twilight or Hunger Games? Um, Hunger Games, just because I would pick anything over Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> Pixar or DreamWorks? Pixar. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Simpsons or Family Guy? Simpsons. Walking Dead or Game of Thrones? Oh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> NFL, MLB, NHL, or NBA? Uh, maybe NFL. All right. Yeah. yeah. One um, for you. <laughs> One for you, Charles. Shut your mouth, Daryl. <laughs> I can just... Let me just say, I can see you guys all judging all of these answers. I hope some of these are lining up with things you guys like. Well, every other person has answered hockey. Yeah. Oh, oh. I think Daryl's the lone hockey fan in our group, so yeah. he, he's he's winning right now. Ah. <laughs> okay, uh, a Porsche, Ferrari, or Lamborghini? Uh, probably Ferrari. All right, and blonde, brunette, or redhead? Oh, man, that's... Blonde and brunette. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to think of what all your girlfriend's hair I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's it. Thanks for going through the gauntlet. <laughs> nice. That was awesome. <laughs> all right. So uh, just before we wrap up, uh, if people want to buy copies of your work, uh, how can they do that? Do you take commissions? Yeah, I do commissions all the time. You can um, drop me an email. Like I have a website, which is leviaremondelli.com. Also, I have Twitter and Instagram, both just leviaremondelli. Um, my my email is easy on there. So just uh, leviaremondelliart at yahoo.com. I do commissions all the time for people. So just um, shoot me an email. I'm happy to ship you know all over the world, really. So just uh, that way, or if you see me at a convention, like I do tons of conventions. Like I have a DeviantArt page, just leviaremondelli again, that has my convention schedule for uh, the rest of this year. So, yeah, just come by and say hi. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, anything else uh, you want to say before we finish up? No, just to, you know, thank everyone for listening and thank you for all the readers out there. Like, it's always great to meet you guys at shows. You know, it's really cool to, 
you know, just to see who's reading these things, you know, we, we draw these and we create them in kind of a vacuum that it's really great to like, to talk to you guys and, you know, hear what people think, you know, it's been, it's, it's a really rewarding part of this. So thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you for all the great things you've created for us. And when, when we really appreciate, uh, like we're really happy with, uh, all the different things that, you know, IDW and Transformers are doing right now. So good, good. You know, we, we really enjoy it. Oh, cool. Thank you very much. All right. So, uh, I think, uh, we'll wrap things up here. Uh, so, uh, this is, uh, you know, this week, since we have an interview show, we're going to go to the, uh, you're going to get another show in a couple of days, uh, with all our regular topics and, uh, reviews and all that stuff. And, uh, you might hear Livio on a couple of those sections, uh, uh, in that show, uh, you'll see in a couple of days. So, uh, thanks. Thanks again so much for coming on the show and talking to us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks again. Thank you. And uh, just uh, want to remind all the listeners out there, if you like what we're doing, uh, you know what I'm going to ask you. So <laughs> just uh, try to, you know, if if you have time, if you're, you know, if you if you're enjoying the show, go ahead and uh, give us some reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. You know, let us know how we're doing. Like the Facebook page, all that social media good stuff. And it's either this or Charles starts asking you for money. <laughs> yeah. And, and send feedback too. We always enjoy hearing from the listeners and, uh, you know, we had a couple of questions before and we like answering the questions, uh, in the show. So, uh, you know, let us know. All right. So, uh, thanks and we will see you next time. Bye bye. Bye. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for picking up our transmission. Give us feedback on our website at www.transmissionspodcast.com where you can find all of our contact info on social media and links to all of our show notes discussed in each episode. You can also email us directly at feedback at transmissionspodcast.com. 